Ag State of Mind, episode 79. Welcome to Ag State of Mind, a podcast that examines the stresses affecting producers of agriculture and how to alleviate these stresses and improve farmers' lives. In this podcast, we discuss openly the mental health crisis that is occurring in the agricultural community and what we can do to help turn it around. Now here's your host, Jason Meadows. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Ag State of Mind podcast, a proud member of the Global Ag Network. I'm your host, Jason Meadows. Pharmacists are among some of the most accessible healthcare professionals, especially in a rural community. They are the place where so many who cannot get into a doctor or some other sort of provider come to for immediate help. My guest today, like me, Rebecca Henry, knows this connection all too well. Rebecca is both a cattle producer and a pharmacist in a rural community. Her and her husband live out outside Moulton, Alabama, and she works at a pharmacy there close by. Uh, we talked to her about the health challenges that are facing rural America and how a pharmacist like her and I can play an integral, integral, excuse me, integral role in patients getting the help that they need. We also spend a little bit of time talking about what it's like to have multiple passions going at once. Um, you know, she has also a boutique. She runs an online store, uh, does some great things. Rebecca and I have connected over Instagram. She is has a great, great girl. I'm really, really fortunate to know her. Um, before we get started, I want to request everyone go out and leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, reviews get us out in front of more people, more people spreading the word, and I appreciate if you could do that. So, all right. And also, I am going to be on a social media break this week uh, in honor of Holy Week, in honor of the Easter season. Um, I think it's always a good idea sometimes to just take a break from social media. So that's, I won't be on there this week. So, um, all right, here we go with my podcast with Rebecca Henry. All right, Rebecca, welcome to the Ag State of Mind podcast. How are you this evening? Thanks. I am doing well. Yeah, it's awesome to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, um, the pleasure's all mine. We're going to get into this is I think this is going to be a fun little chat here because you and I have some things in common that I'm finding we were talking before recording more and more of people I think have it in common, but you know, our professional lives and our ag lives are very similar in what we do. So why don't you tell everybody about what you guys do down there in Alabama and uh, then we'll dive into everything else from there. Yeah. So I am from the Northern part of Alabama. We are in Moulton, a small town. Um, in Lawrence County. And my husband is a full-time beef cattle farmer. We have a stalker operation here in Moulton. He is actually taking it over from his granddad and we're called Harden Farms. So Mr. Harden was the one that started it. Um, It was actually Mitchell's great granddad. Mm -hmm. And so it got passed to his grandfather and now Mitchell is taking over. We are the Henry's, but it's his mom's side. So that's the name Harden Farms. And so This farm has been here, Harden Farms has been in existence over 80 years. They've been here pretty much exactly 80 years. And um, so Mitchell just took over the stalker operation, which is we buy smaller calves and um, feed them here on our farm until they are 
at the specific weight to go out west to the feedlots um, where they go to the packers. So that's what we do. Um, Mitchell has also started his cow-calf herd a couple years ago, so that is growing as well to feed back into the stalker operation. So that's a little, that's our farm. That's a little bit about what we do. He does that full time. I'm a pharmacist full time, five days a week. I also work as needed at the local hospital here. I'm in a retail setting and I also have designed our farm merchandise. So we have a website, hardenfarms.com with our t-shirts and hats and things like that to help supplement farm income, um, especially through COVID. So um, right. yeah. <laughs> that was good timing. And then I also own an online women's boutique, um, daylilyshop.com. That's just a side thing I've always wanted to do. So we've got a lot of small businesses happening up here in North Alabama. That's great. You know, that's America. I think, you know, I'm reading a book right now. Um, Oh gosh, what's the name of it? That's terrible. Uh, One person, multiple careers. And I can't, I I don't want to say the name. uh, I can't remember the name of the, of the author because I'll, I won't remember it. I'll, I'll link it in the (laughs) show notes, but it's, uh, it, it was actually mentioned in a Brene Brown book, which I was reading. And, you know, it talks about like, I mean, a lot of times people feel like they need to wrap their identity into one thing that they do. But you know, throughout history, throughout, I mean, especially in this country, we have done so many things. You know, we've, uh, you know, everybody has a slash, you know, you're yeah. a farmer, a yeah. cattleman slash pharmacist slash small business owner slash you know women's boutique owner, you know, us, <laughs> it's a slash podcaster and slash yoga studio owner, you know, I mean, that's how, um, that's how like, that's how small businesses thrive, you know, is being able to do multiple things and serve multiple populations. And especially in a rural community, I find that that is very needed. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I loved your post about that, about how we all have those slashes and we have multiple identities that we can have. But um, that's what I told somebody this weekend. We were at a young farmers conference and um, she was explaining to her husband who I was and what I did. And she she said she's a pharmacist, but she also has her online uh-huh. stuff, but she also has her online boutique, but she also farms and she and, and I was just like, yeah, I do yeah. all those things. And it was just a lot. I was like, I'm kind of random. So, but I think it is great. I think that we're blessed to have the ability to do all that uh, for sure. So. Yeah. And, you know, when, and it's really valuable in times like COVID and things, you know, don't know what's going to happen, right. you know, to have, not have all your eggs in one basket or not rely just on one source of income. You know, and, I, I we talked several episodes with my good friend Tyler Keckley. You know, a lot of pressure is put on young producers to try and, you know, make it with just a farm business or just a cattle business. Mm-hmm. But you know, that's mm-hmm. not why why put that pressure on ourselves? You know, it's not necessary. And in fact, it's yeah. you know, you can make your farm business thrive when you mm-hmm. don't do it that way, when you're able to, you know, provide multiple sources of income. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I love being able to kind of just think outside the box. I think COVID forced a lot of farmers to do that. You know, my my husband is pretty conservative in his business ways and in life in general, but, um, you know, he has the stalker operation and, and he was really, 
good about thinking outside the box with cow-calf. You know, that is mm -hmm. a huge step. It's a big investment, sure. but it will pay off in the long run. So he's thinking outside the box there. And then um, last year, we got a couple kill slots to be able to have freezer beef. Uh -huh. And so that's something we hadn't done kind of direct to consumer, kind of, right. um, you know, in a way. And so that was thinking outside the box for us. You know, that sure. was just huge, different, never done it before, you know, and then of course the whole online with the farm merch and everything that started as something creative. It was actually a present for Mitchell, but you know, we were able to think bigger and dream bigger. And I, and I love that a lot of people are doing that now, especially in the ag community. It has been so fun to watch and connect with others. Um, especially cause this community is just so supportive of one another and it's been fun to learn from each other and be able to help. So I love that. Yeah, no, I think it's so great. So I want to, I do, I want to circle back to that part of it in, in a little bit, but I do want to get into, you know, what you and I kind of had talked about and mm -hmm. it's the accessibility of, we're going to talk about pharmacists, but you know, of healthcare providers in a rural community and how important that is. You know, I find in my day to day that, I'm probably one of the most accessible healthcare providers there are, you know what I mean? Because, you know, I, I was at a, I was at a business conference. Uh, it was actually a pharmacy ownership conference. Gosh, right when I graduated college, 10 or 11 years, gosh, no, it's been longer than that ago. My goodness, <laughs> uh, 12 or 13 years ago. And you know, he talked about how if you want to see a doctor, you have to make an appointment. If you want to just even talk to a lawyer on the phone, yeah, you've got to make an appointment and it costs you money. But you can stand at the pharmacist counter all eight hours, 10 hours, however long he or she's there, talk to them, talk their ear off, talk to them about whatever, and they won't charge you a dime. Yeah. And if you think about it, I mean... Maybe we're missing something with a business model there, but but at the same time, we can be an incredible asset to our communities in the, because of that, because we're so accessible. And, you know, I kind of want to get your take on that. Yeah, definitely. Being in kind of a rural area where there are, you know, clinics, small clinics um, and doctor's offices, but like you said, difficult to get into because sure. we're in a rural area and they cover so much area population, you know, because we're out kind of further. So they're so busy. I mean, the doc, right. the main doctor I, I see at my pharmacy at my independent pharmacy is so overwhelmed. She also, you know, is a hospitalist here and then she oh, has wow. two clinics. So it's like, she is just overwhelmed and, um, I get to talk to her daily and she makes me laugh, but you know, I am able to help her and I, I love her because she appreciates that and she uses me, Hey, can you remind this patient or whatever? Because, you know, they're coming to see me right after her. And then I feel like sometimes there's a disconnect between patient and doctor. Sometimes, you know, of course we learn about white coat syndrome in, in school and everything like that. Well, my independent pharmacy, I'm not in a white coat. Um, I'm in my scrubs or I'm in my, you know, high school t-shirt, you know, some of us are. And so we're just right there on their level relatable. And so we're able to say, 
you know, hey, this is why you're taking this. They left the doctor. The doctor may have told them, but it's hard to listen sometimes in the stress or the doctor or something like that. But, you know, I just feel like I'm that person that I can explain it better, kind of say, okay, do you have any questions? It's okay that this is all confusing, you know, just be kind of comforting um, just because I do have that extra time to do that. So yeah, definitely. I, I think pharmacists are a huge resource that people can use. Yeah, I mean, and I found that and I, I, you know, I take pride in that in knowing that, you know, I my my position is a little bit different than yours in that I'm not in an independent pharmacy. um, But I have been in that I've worked in that many a times and, uh, you know, see the value of that people. I mean, and I think it's said that it's pharmacy is America's most trusted profession. (laughs) And I think we, uh, we need to not waste that we need to build upon that and you know as healthcare gets more and more complicated and like you say you have a there's a physician in your in, in your community who is a hospitalist but also has two clinics i mean just one of those things would be enough to keep a person busy but she's doing three of those things and mm-hmm. i mean so i mean doctors are and they and and it's out of necessity because reimbursement rates for doctors aren't what they once were so they're having to do it to make a living and you know so they are not at near as accessible as they probably once were mm-hmm. and that's an opportunity for us as pharmacists and, and not just for us as pharmacists but for people who live in the rural population to know that they can go to pharmacists and we need to let them know that there is no barrier there they can come in and talk to us and if um, we need to not waste that opportunity mm-hmm. exactly i totally agree <laughs> <laughs> And I, I've, there's a lot of talk, you know, we've talked, you and I have talked and talked with others about the, the role of a pharmacist in rural mental health care. And, you know, it, it gets a little complicated here because, you know, I know there needs to be some training. I think it's a good idea for a pharmacist to take a mental health first aid course or a QPR course, something like that. But again, it goes back to that accessibility and... Again, the the stigma that is associated with the rural population. Uh, we were talking before we recorded how you know the older generation we just don't talk about anything. You know, you just yeah. deal with it. But now the younger generation, you know, they understand that they need to talk about it. But there's still that pressure from the older generation letting them know that hey, you probably sh- you don't need to talk about this um, when in fact they really should. So you know, I'm interested in your take on that. Yeah, so kind of what I was saying about between the generations, it's come in kind of full circle, especially in the farming community, you know, and like I said, I didn't know if this is just the South or um, if they No, it's everywhere. It's in, everywhere. In, in yeah. farming communities everywhere. Um, but you have that older generation where even in, you know, blood pressure medications, diabetes medications, you don't feel those symptoms sometimes. And so they're saying, why do I need to take this medicine? You know, they don't really understand that. And then sometimes even they'll take that medication and it makes them feel bad or, you know, tired, less energy where they can't do their farm work, you know, because they're going to, in the case of Mitchell's grandfather, I mean, he retired at 80 
Like that's when it retired, like that's when he stopped. And even now, you know, he'll hop on the tractor and help Mitchell feed. They just don't stop. That's not in their nature. That's not that generation. And I love it. And mm -hmm. that's who raised us. And we, we learned from that. But then, you know, on the healthcare side, it's like, please take your blood pressure medication so you can go out there and can continue to work. I know it makes you feel a little bit more tired. So there's, there's that generation in a rural area, especially where we're as pharmacists, we're trying to educate the older farm generation say, Hey, you do need to take this. This is why this is what will happen if you don't, you know, things like that. And so if we can, especially as a pharmacist in a farming community and as a farmer, you know, I'm able to relate to that. I understand that that makes you tired and that's frustrating, mm -hmm. you know, but you're not going to be able to hang out with the grandkids or to hop on that tractor, you know, if, if you don't. And so that education piece is important. I think for the older generation, well, then <laughs> you have their take on medication that we've been brought up in you know, oh, I don't need that. You know, I'm fine. Get over it. Like you said, and that is translating, you know, into the struggles. Like our, the older generation doesn't talk about the mental struggles they had. They had a lot. <laughs> when you talk about cattle farmers in the seventies and eighties, row crop farmers in the seventies and eighties, they talk about markets, interest rates, they go on and on. And mm -hmm. can you imagine <laughs> the, the no. mental stress during that time. So, you know, it, it was there, but it wasn't talked about. And so right. now it's becoming like that, like you said, that stigma is leaving. And, you know, as pharmacists with younger farmers coming in, maybe with, you know, either prescriptions or issues like that coming into doctor's offices, it's okay to talk about that. It's important to talk about that. Um, I think because their financial struggles, probably have young families, you know, that you, you have stress with kids or, you know, marriage or anything like that. And I, I just think it's really important to address it and it not have that get over it mentality really anymore. But that's, that's kind of what I'm seeing from a pharmacy perspective and a farm world perspective. You know, you, you said something there that I've never really thought about and it kind of clicked with me, you know, cause I have, I've done a lot of research on what happened in the eighties and how tough it must've been. And, you know, so many farmers losing, losing their land, losing their, their operations, but the guys that made it through mm -hmm. and I I don't think it's quite as bad right now, but you know we're having a we're having a sort of farm crisis right yeah, now. There were some setbacks for sure. You know, and but like so, guys that are in charge now, you know, they look back and they say, "Oh, dad or granddad made it through the '80s." Then, but what's wrong with me if I can't make it? You know, I've never really thought of it that way. You know, that's so that's like. Mm -hmm that adds another layer to it. I've never thought about that until right now. And that's, uh, man, that's incredibly complicated too, right? You know, so I mean, that yeah. adds another layer to this. That's it. Yeah, it does. Kind of a pressure that nobody's necessarily putting on them, but they're putting right. it on themselves because they want, they see how great their granddad and dad were and what they're do, doing, still doing. I want to be like that, <laughs> you know, and they made it. What's, yeah, what's wrong with me? Why? Yeah, I'm, that's huge. That's huge. Yeah. I mean, and it's, you know, it's, it's amazing. I've never really put it in that perspective before, but uh, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, you know, that's something that 
we have to that we're that it's just another again another layer of this that we're going to have to have to contend with. Yeah. So so something I want to also chat with you about is and this is something where and I'm going to be a little bit selfish on this because I'm going to use your point of view to help me with a presentation of mine in a couple of uh, months about rural communities and uh, how we get young people in rural communities to want to come back to rural communities as professionals. You know, so I think for me, and I don't know if I ever really had an intention of coming back, but then I left it and I wanted to come back. Anybody who is familiar with this podcast and has listened to it from the beginning will know that, um, I, you know, agriculture wasn't, I mean, I, I was involved, but it wasn't something that I was passionate about until I left it. And, you know, maybe I would have done things different. I don't know, but I'm, I'm back here now and that's all that really matters, you know, because there has to be some sort of familiarity with the rural culture, with the rural lifestyle, with the farming and agricultural lifestyle for folks to feel comfortable with those professionals like pharmacists, like even like a doctor or even a lawyer, you know, any kind of professional. So, I mean, how there's, I think it's a two part, two part thing. How do we, how do you think, what, what brings somebody back to a rural community and what, if maybe if it isn't people who are coming back to the rural community, what if it's people who aren't from the rural community moving to the rural community, yeah. but familiarizing themselves with rural culture? Like, how do we go about that? For us, we, we both were in small towns, kind of outside larger cities. So I, w I was from a farm um, south of Huntsville, which is a bigger city okay. here. Yep. And um, my husband was outside of Montgomery, which is our capital. Right. And we, for us, I don't, I don't know if this is everywhere, but we had strong family ties to the, to our area where we grew up. Mitchell, I, I know was at least fourth generation mm -hmm. in that spot right <laughs> um, on that land. And my family was fourth or fifth on that land. And right. so we were raised to value, you know, that and those have those family values. So we're not in, we're not in the small town that we grew up in, but this is where his mom was raised and this is where his grandparents are. So again, it's, you know, the family has been here for over 80 years. So we had those strong family ties, bringing us back to a small town. Mitchell's passionate about agriculture, about farming. That's what brought him back as well. But that that's just our personal reasons. And I was, I was passionate about small town living because I was raised that way. But also um, my mom was a pharmacist as well. Mm, okay. And she ended, she retired, but she ended her, her career at the independent that was in our small town where I grew up. And so a lot of our patients were family and a lot of them were farmers and our same type of people, I guess. And so right. that was the language we spoke. And so that's where my passion for small town living and for pharmacy really, because I spoke that language, that rural <laughs> language, I could relate these hard medical, you know, points to them, right. to educate them because I speak that. <laughs> sure. As, as I say, I speak redneck. But, uh -huh. Sure. Uh, yeah. Because I am one. Uh -huh. So that was kind of like our draw back to small town. Um, we just had a passion for it because we were raised that way and we loved the people 
of a small town. And um, I think, I think now, you know, it's becoming more the thing like farming and growing a homestead, you know, people are appreciating that a lot more. And land is being bought up because mm -hmm. people want to have land people want to have their chicken coops and you know have their own eggs and i think that's growing and so i think with that comes you know that people wanting to come back and people wanting to be in a rural small town and have that feel so they can have those experiences and raise their family mm -hmm. in that whether they were raised in it personally or they were in a suburb of a large city with neighbors all around them and they do not want that for their family. So I, that's kind of what I'm seeing. As far as drawing people back, I think social media <laughs> has been big, you know, everybody's on it. And with, you know, starting my farm account, you know, just a year ago, it's been so neat to watch people that don't have this background, aren't in a small town, you know, they are like, this is amazing. This is something totally different. And, you know, that could even spark, hey, I want that for my family. You know, they, so just kind of being an example, I guess, of um, yeah. small town life uh, via social media, people in larger areas, or if you're feeling cramped or anything like that, you know, you, they can kind of see that and have that, have that draw to be in a rural area. So I think obviously COVID has been terrible, right? I mean, it's been, it's been hard for a lot of people in the short term and, you know, and it's going to affect people in the long term, especially folks with small businesses who were affected by the shutdowns and whatnot. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, that's going to be hard, uh, right. but and this is me being a, rural optimist. That's kind of how I've branded myself. Um, mm -hmm. I believe in rural America. And I think that what this pandemic has shown us is that rural America is where people there's there's we're, we're going to start drawing people to rural America because they saw what happens when something like a pandemic happens. And, you know, they saw a lot of their, you know, I talked to one of my friends, Janice Person, this week, and she lives in St. Louis. And it was, she just says, I don't think people in the rural communities know what we're going through in the cities. And wow, exactly. you know, and that's, I mean, and that yeah. hits me hard because throughout this pandemic, my life hasn't changed that much. Like, you right. know, I mean, I almost, found, I, I, I'm almost like, a little bit ashamed to say it, but also I say it with a lot of pride, you know, mm -hmm. I, I, I'm so happy that I live this way because of that. And yeah. I think we're going to see a lot more. I know I talked to Sam Goldberg, who I talked to him on the podcast this summer, and he's the guy who did the, he's the director or producer, I'm sorry, of Silo the Film. Um, my husband was watching that the other night. Oh, yeah. it's, oh my <laughs> gosh. It's a, uh, I mean, it's, that's a whole different story. I, right. I, I, I cried like a baby watching that. Um, mm. But he's, you know, he said him, his wife, they're from New York City. They're from, you know, they're from Manhattan. Uh, that's where they lived. And 
they've bought a farm in rural Pennsylvania, you know, because of all this. And I think we're seeing more and more of that. Uh, As longer the pandemic goes on, the more people want to get out of that situation. So that is a long way of going back to saying that the rural life is becoming more and more desirable to people. And I think it's going to be a good opportunity for rural America going forward. And it's a good opportunity to draw people who may not have come here otherwise. But at the same time, and I'm trying not to sound like an old geezer here, but I don't want our way of life. I don't want our way of life to be sacrificed by urban and suburban culture coming in. You know what I mean? So it's there's oh, a yeah. there's a fine line there. There really is, and you yeah, know, and we, I we we were talking this weekend at um, our young farmers conference. We actually had a panel of older farmers from this area, from North Alabama talking about that and how they're losing their land to these developments, um, to whether it's commercial or housing developments. Um, The county just north of us, Limestone County, is the fastest growing in our state um, because it's just a little bit outside of Huntsville. Huntsville is booming. Um, NASA's there, a lot of rocket science, a lot of biotechnology research, all that's in um, and the Redstone Arsenal is in Huntsville. And so everything is coming there. Everything is growing and it's growing out into the farmland yeah. slowly but surely. And these older farmers that have generations behind them coming under them, trying to keep the farm going, they're seeing that they're losing this land. They can't compete with, you know, rent prices or, yeah. you know, they see $12 million for their land that they had just a few acres of cotton on how, I mean, really like how, how do you can you compete? I mean, yeah. And so they were, they were definitely talking about that, how it's just, it's sad to watch. It's hard to watch. And, but I do, I do agree with you. We we've also been talking about how blessed we are to have that land to go to um, in this pandemic course. With being a farmer and a pharmacist, we didn't stop. Right, exactly. <laughs> Same here. Yeah. <laughs> Which is good. But we definitely had never thought about that before. What if we were in a small apartment in a huge in city? Chicago or somewhere like that. Yes. Oh, my goodness. I just felt for them so much. And I want them to come and just see our cows. <laughs> but, you know, um, just so we could spread out, like we were just so blessed to have that. But also kind of a little off of that, the when everything happened, when the markets backed up, uh, the beef markets, I'm sure it happened in other commodities, the prices, everybody in Walmart's like, why is beef so high? So then, you know, farm beef cattle farmers, like I said earlier, I had to think outside the box and we went direct to consumer. Boom. I mean, everyone jumped on it. We had a huge response. We could not fill <laughs> what everybody wanted. They immediately went back to the source. It, pe- more people learned about where their food came from. And then they were like, oh, <laughs> we appreciate you. We appreciate farmers. We appreciate rural America, like you're saying. And so in a way, you're right, COVID was kind of like a blessing for agriculture. Yeah, ag- I mean, whatever. <laughs> we can choose <laughs> to see it however we want to, but I'm going to choose to see it as a blessing. I, you know, you know <laughs> what I mean? Yeah. Positivity. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but people, people were 
definitely searching, you know, for the answer to that. And I, I think, you know, farmers were able to come in clutch with that. And so that was, that was good. Yeah. For us as well. Yeah. You know, and I mean, this is, this is, uh, this is a good, I mean, it's again, you know, I, I can't say this enough. I'll never say COVID is a great thing, you know, but no. just because things are tough, just because things are hard. And this has kind of been, you know, the theme of this year unintentionally, but you know, it's, I find myself talking about it, that just because things have been tough, things have been hard, doesn't mean we can't find those little blessings within and, you know, the, a, appreciating rural America, appreciating our lives in rural America and hoping that everyone else can do the same. You know, that's a win in my book, you know, I mean, no matter the cost. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to be respectful of your time tonight. I appreciate all that you have provided me with. I mean, you are, you know, you're, you're one of those people who just like, you have so many different perspectives on anything. And, you know, me for one, I can, I can sure appreciate that because, you know, that's, that's how I view myself. And it, it, it helps people to know that they're, is, you know, they don't have to be just one thing, you know, they don't have to be, you know, they don't have to be just stuck in that role as a pharmacist. You can be a pharmacist and a farmer and a boutique owner and, yeah. you know, all these things. And, you know, it's a paradigm shift for sure. And especially again, you know, helping people to understand that they can do these things, even in rural America, you know, it's valuable. Yeah, for sure. I've definitely been blessed to I've honestly just realized it over the past few years. And I'm definitely glad to learn that I'm not alone in that, that the desire to um, be random and do a bunch yeah. of random things because we can. And so um, I'm definitely glad to meet you and be here to talk about that. Well, isn't that you say that? Is it fun to like surprise people? A little oh, yeah. bit. Yeah. People, people from pharmacy school, you know, and growing up are like, what? why <laughs> you know what what is why <laughs> but you know it, it's so it's been fun um to learn and it's just for the learning experience like you said because we can right. um why not mm -hmm. um, i've asked myself that a lot over the past couple of years why not and it's led to a lot of beautiful things sure. so i'm really i'm really thankful for that you'll appreciate this i took over my alumni Instagram page a couple of weeks ago okay. and uh, actually it was a couple months ago. It was in January. Um, and you know, I did the whole thing where, you know, I started the morning and I was talking about my job as a pharmacist and you know, I said, you know, just, there's going to be some, you know, things are going to be, di get different real here real quick. Well, the very next like story was, we had calves to go to town that day. We were loading our, we loading our weaned calves. And that I put that on the Instagram page and like, <laughs> I got a message from a couple of alumni, like, what was that? You know, like exactly <laughs> like random, cows? right? <laughs> yes. That is so funny. I, I love that. And, but it's been awesome because I had such great friends that are doing amazing oh, yeah. things in pharmacy and that is just what they do and what they love and it's awesome and it's so, been so fun to um and so sweet of them to support me yeah um in all my different endeavors i'm still in pharmacy but hey i'm doing this and stuff too do all the and, other stuff too yeah right living out my passions yeah so. it's awesome it's awesome mm -hmm. well rebecca i appreciate your time here tonight and uh i, I appreciate your friendship yeah yeah it's awesome to be here thank you so much Thanks for listening to Ag State of Mind. We hope this episode has encouraged you. 
Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Ag State of Mind. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify so you never miss an episode. See you next week.